0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI-audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, and I'm super excited to be with you today. Some of you may have seen the story this summer of Mike Shorman, a paddleboarder from Whitby, Ontario, who was trying to become the first Canadian with disabilities to paddle across all the Great Lakes. And he joined us to tell us about that journey, why he did it, and how his life has changed as a result of it. So, stay tuned. Really hope you enjoy this conversation. Mike, welcome to the program today.
0: Hi, Megan. How are you?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk with you. But before we get into your story, I just have a little question that I need to clear up. I am currently a student in a master's of journalism program at Carleton, and one of my profs has this technique where he will often ask his interview subjects the story of their name. People will talk about, you know, like why their parents named them the name they did or the story behind their family name. And your last name is Shorman. Like gotcha. ashore, And we are talking to you because you work a lot in the water. Have you ever noticed the irony of this, that you're Mike Shoreman? but we all know you as an unbalanced paddleboarder who spends time in the water?
0: So it, it's so funny that you started off with that because yeah, I, I hear a lot. People make the connection with my surname and what I set out to do this this summer and um it was in the headlines and you know, people made posters. Mike Shorman comes ashore and <laughs> you No, know, the connection has been made and people said, you know, from from the beginning it's destiny. <laughs> right. Like it all goes back to the name. But it wasn't, you know, destiny in 2021 with my first attempt. But no, I guess it was this year.
1: People talked about it being destiny. But if I understand it, you did not originally set out to become a professional paddleboarder. So how did you first get into paddleboarding?
0: I went on a date, actually, and and I fell in love with the activity, the hobby, or the activity. And then it became a hobby. So I took a lesson and I was really bad. I spent, you know, 40 of 60 minutes in the water. But I love... I loved climbing up and I loved falling down. Um, (laughs) And that's just kind of what life is. It's all, you know, falling down and picking ourselves back up and keep on going. And anyways, it just turned into this amazing hobby. And then it became a profession. And I taught professionally and did rentals. and, And I loved sharing my experience, why I loved it, with other people and watching them fall in love with
1: it. One of the reasons why I have you on, Mike, is I'm a terrible swimmer. Yeah. So, and every year around this time, I'm like, okay, this is the year that I'm going to take swimming lessons again and get over <laughs> my fear of I don't know, water. So when I heard your story, I'm like, I need to talk to Mike because he might be able to do some pre counseling for me to <laughs> to get to get me over this. You so, go what,
0: in- so water water is in the top is in the top five fears of people. Oh. Um, you know, fear of public speaking is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, fear of heights. Fear of death, fear of water is in there. So you're not alone there, (laughs) Megan. Water is a very, you know, it it can be an amazing thing. It can also be a very dangerous activity. So Mm -hmm. you're not alone there.
1: Okay, that makes me feel a little better. So you go through this transition where you take up paddle boarding and it becomes your livelihood, but then you become the person that we, the public now knows you as, as the unbalanced paddle boarder. For those who aren't familiar with that story, how did that
0: happen? In 2018, I developed a neurological condition that many people know about, mostly this summer through Justin Bieber, called ramsey Hunt syndrome. It's a reactivation of the chickenpox virus attacking either your eye or your ear, as shingles, and it's a rare condition. It's a, it's a spectrum, so it can be mild to severe. In my case, it was it was very severe in a matter of five days. I lost my mobility. I, I could barely walk. I developed tinnitus and lost significant hearing in my right ear. And it affected the right side of my body. So all the fifth, seventh, and eighth cranial nerve in my face shattered and my face sunk in. And it looked like I'd had a stroke. And that gave me speech impairments. And it affected how I, how I ate. and and how I communicated, and also an obstruction of vision and visual impairments. When we talk about losing our business, our social life, our independence... Um, And that's what it is. When you lose your mobility, you essentially lose, you feel like you lose a lot of your independence. And, um, And what it did for me through my recovery and my rehabilitation, a strong emphasis was put on physical rehabilitation, not the mental part. I eventually had a mental health breakdown about six months later. Then I started addressing the mental health issues that I was going through, the isolation, the loneliness, the loss of hope and the feeling like I was alone in what I was going through. And when I started addressing that, I started to see gradual improvements in my physical health. And as I kept on continuing, I was being told that you know I would never fly again because I now lived with chronic vertigo, that I would never get on a paddleboard again that my paddle boarding was done, that being in cars for a long time, anything more than probably two or three hours was going to be very challenging. Um, And some of those things are challenging. I just have to do things differently now.
1: How are you doing things differently? Like what are the ways that your life looks a little different now than it did before the diagnosis?
0: So one of the things that really affects me is the barometric pressure. So when the weather changes suddenly in either way, like if it goes from cold to you suddenly spikes up or whether air pressure drops, I can feel it in my body significantly and it, it's exhaustion. So you can see it. You can see it sometimes in my face. You can hear it when I'm speaking. You can also see it in my movement. So you can see it when I'm walking. On a really bad day, I, you know, I'm grounded like an airplane, unable to fly. I'm couch bound and I'm not doing very much. But if I'm if I'm really exhausted from this you can, you can see it in my walking and I, I stagger when I walk like I was, you know, back in college. <laughs>
1: <laughs> knowing that, knowing how you're affected by changes in temperature, how that affects your exhaustion, your energy levels, you decided that you wanted to paddleboard across all five great lakes.
0: So for the last several years, I've partnered with mental health organizations because of my own mental health journey. It was pretty significant, you know, I think when we go through something, there's always this conversation of, it happened to me, it happened for me. Now that I'm on the other side of this, I can say that this happened for me. While it was an excruciating, painful process, valuable things came out of it. I realized very quickly on the other side of my mental health journey that I didn't want young people. I didn't want people, but especially young people, to ever feel alone or hopeless like i felt when i went through what i did i realized that looking back on it and reflecting that i had no coping tools i had no coping mechanisms and when we look at children and young people they haven't formulated those yet i started researching more and found that you no know, suicide is the leading health-related cause of death in young canadians and i thought no we have to do something about this So I started partnering with different mental health organizations focusing on young people and children. And one of those is is Jack.org, which is Canada's national youth mental health charity. What they do is they provide mental health programs and, and services, and they put them in schools, high schools, universities, and colleges in every province and territory. I've done events for them for the last several years. And last year, you know, I thought, okay, we're all in this state of lockdown. We have to break through into the media and get their attention what are we going to do and i decided i was going to attempt to become the first person with physical disabilities to go from one country to another on a paddleboard and i set out to cross lake ontario last year and we raised a lot of money and a lot of awareness but the weather changed and i made it halfway and it was very um it was very difficult at the time for me there were so many wins but i was laser focused on how it didn't happen the way that i had hoped and I think it took about a month or two to kind of reframe that and dust myself off and lick my wounds a little bit. And then I decided, yeah, I'm going to try it again. Every end has a, has a beginning and, and this is the beginning of something bigger. And so I made the announcement last fall that I was going to attempt to become the first person, first Canadian with disabilities to cross all five Great Lakes.
1: Give people just the quick thumbnail sketch of the journey. So it was August 20th, I believe, that you crossed Lake Ontario and completed the journey.
0: Yeah, so so that was the final crossing. That was um, the third longest one. It was the final one. It was the redo of what didn't happen the year before. before. And it went from Youngstown, New York into toronto ontario so we started at about six o'clock at night and paddled into the sunset and then the sun went down i think it was probably the most emotional one because i knew that it was coming to an end and i knew you know the significance of it it was through the night i have a support boat beside me with teams that take shifts you know i'm not napping or sleeping out there but they are i had pretty big teams for these so that they could rotate and that they could be as rested as possible because when you're on the water it's a dangerous thing so they need to be able to keep an eye on me and communicate with me and keep me engaged to keep me awake so we went through the night And then the sun came up and the weather switched and we had to really fight for it in the end. It was uh, a real challenge just to get in there at the end. The wind was coming right at us. It's called a headwind when you're going into it. And it was actually pushing us back to New York. And no, I was very relieved to make it into Toronto. And when I started seeing what was happening in the Toronto Harbour, I started to get very emotional.
1: Take me back to that moment. You're in the middle of Lake Ontario. You see the sun start to rise. What are you thinking?
0: So I was very relieved throughout all of these with the Lake Huron crossing, which was 28 hours. The Lake Michigan crossing, which was 27 and a half hours, and the Lake Ontario one, which was 18 and a half hours. We had to go through the dark. There's a documentary that's being shot on the Canadian youth mental health crisis, and it will focus on disabilities. And it's been titled, When Hope Breaks Through. And it's been titled that by them, because when the sun comes up, there's hope. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. And whatever you've been going through is now behind you and you can you can start over. And my team always said that they could see something switch. As soon as that sun was coming up, they could see in my face and in my eyes and, and in my actions that there was new life and that there was a confidence in that I could continue and that I could finish. Going through these in the dark was very scary. Most of the time, the boat was on my left-hand side because that's my good ear. With my hearing impacted the way that it is, then you add the engines of a support boat, the wind, and the water. Very difficult for me to communicate with my team. When I'm going through the dark, it's very challenging. And at that point, usually, with the Lake Huron and the Lake Michigan crossing, I've I've been crossing for 18 hours at that point. My body was done. So to see the sun come up, it, it gave me hope. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of people when they're going through a mental health journey is like they, they feel hopeless and they're looking for that hope. And, and for me, in that in that case, the sun coming up was hope.
1: And you mentioned how for that final crossing, when you saw what was happening on the shore, in the harbour, you started to get emotional. So what were
0: you seeing? About five miles outside of entering the Toronto Harbour, the Toronto Marine Police Unit came out. They sent out their boats to help guide us in. When we were coming through the Leslieville Spit into the Toronto Harbour, Right where you go in, there was a boat that came out with several camera crews. They're all guiding us in towards the Toronto Harbor. You know, we're entering the harbor. And then the Toronto Marine Fire Brigade sent out their fleets of boats and two more boats from the Toronto Marine Police Unit. So there was a huge, I guess, convoy of <laughs> boats that surrounded me, which was great because the Toronto Harbor that day was extremely choppy and there's a lot of boat traffic. It was It was on a Saturday. So it was really nice. And we were following kind of the lake shore down towards near Porter Airport is. As we started to pass the Sea and Tower heading into HTO Park, I started seeing all of these paddleboarders and dragon boaters. And they were coming towards us. And then I started to hear the cheering. And I first saw one boat, and then I saw two. And then there were 10, and then there were 20, and then there were 30. And they were just going by me on the left-hand side and clapping and ringing bells. And then I turned around at one point, and I saw that they had all joined a line behind me, behind my group, following us into HTO Park. It was a really beautiful thing. Mm.
1: And there's that image, too, of in the night, you're dark. I'm assuming you're alone, that there's not a lot of people who are out paddleboarding the Great Lakes in the middle of the night. Then the sun rises up and you realize that you're no longer alone. There's this whole community of people who are helping bring you back.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's very similar to our mental health journey. I know some people said it was a very lone wolf thing to do. Yes, I had teams and I had support boats and and they were amazing and they kept me company and they kept me as happy as they could and and hydrated and fed. They would feed me every 30 minutes. They would ring a bell and and I'd come over and they'd pass me a shake of carbohydrates and I'd hand it back and keep on going. And we did that for sometimes almost 30 hours. But in a mental health journey, when I went through my challenges and struggles and even now when i'm going through something i think a lot of us feel that we're very alone in that and when when i was out crossing those great lakes there's no paddle out there there's no boat birds don't even go out into the middle of of the lake you know there was a part in the the lake huron crossing where we realized because we couldn't see it but we realized that we were getting close to the shore because a bird landed on the boat. This was very similar. There are big parallels, and in, in that you have to go through the hard stuff, through the pain, and through the challenges and difficulties to come out the other side. But when you do, people are going to be there.
1: And I want to lean into that parallel a little bit more. You said earlier in this conversation that, you know, on your worst days physically, you're going to be couch bound. Uh, not be able to be mobile Mm -hmm. as on other days now when that happens to you how do you approach it differently than you did two three years ago
0: i'm gentler with my schedule i manage my capacity very differently i tend not to overbook i'm on a plane tomorrow morning and i will go to calgary I will, you know, not book anything else during that day and even the day after. When I do speaking engagements, I tend to leave Two or three days, I've got a pretty hectic speaking schedule in October, November, December. But I I tend to to leave things between engagements or or interviews or or anything like that so that my body can rest and can adjust. And then I'm not affected as greatly as if I didn't do that. So it's just really kind of boundary setting, but mostly boundary setting with myself.
1: You mentioned your speaking schedule. You've won speaking competitions. Now you have this professional identity as a motivational, as an inspirational speaker. Sometimes I've been brought in every once in a while to, I guess, kind of do that motivational, I'm an adult with a disability talk. Mm-hmm. My story is way less interesting than yours because I was born <laughs> with this. Every, so like,
0: everybody's stories <laughs> stories. First-
1: <laughs> Oh, thanks, Mike. I think, and it's always weird for me because I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I just thought I was going around living my life. How do you respond to that? Like, do you like being called motivational or inspirational? Do you feel pressure from that?
0: That's a great question. It's a double-edged sword. Uh-huh, yeah, I speak to businesses, corporations. I speak to schools, to organizations, to motivate them to be better leaders. That is essentially, you know, what I what I do now. That's a hard thing to to grasp to to have people call you inspirational. There's been a lot of recognition. I think we all want to give, but to receive is quite um is quite a thing. I've heard from the Prime Minister. This was talked about in the Ontario Legislative Assembly. This was mm-hmm. talked in the House of Commons. I've heard from Canadians all over the country. To be called inspirational is an honour, but it's also something that I think people struggle with. There are reasons why I did this and why people do these, these things. Is it inspiring Well, I I hope that it inspires people to know that they can go out and do big, scary things too. Like swimming, Megan, Mm -hmm. you need to go swimming.
1: Yes. (laughs) Right. I've done it before. (laughs) And I know for me, when it first started happening to me, like people would call and be like, oh, we want you to speak. Like, it's an honor. But there's this other part of me that's like, I already have this internal dialogue, monologue that I have to watch out for that says, because of my disability, I have to always work so much harder than everybody else right and you have to like manage that and then to suddenly be told and you need to be the public face of this for everybody Yeah, there's been days where i'm like i don't actually want to be your public face because i have to deal with my own private stuff Mm -hmm. here for you how do you how do you manage that
0: So I compartmentalized most of it. It was very intense. The media was very intense with me, especially July through August. This all began at the beginning of May. Um, The media started following it. I think I counted it the other day. There's an Excel spreadsheet. I think that there's 122 interviews that were done i i'm doing i'm doing more next week it's been the most intense probably moment of my life you know you're always worried did i say the right thing did i hit the right points did i cover everything but at the same time like you know you just want to be you and that's, that's a hard thing to balance. You know, there was a lot of pressure with the last two, you know, a lot of people, when I said that I was going to do all five, a lot of people, even in the media, it got back to me that a lot of journalists said, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. And they showed up. they showed up after the first two as soon as lake huron was crossed lake erie was seven hours and that started it and then the crossing of lake huron was 28 hours and as soon as that was crossed people jumped on board there was a huge pressure and um there were moments where I was crying in the car and mm-hmm. um and there were moments where my my team saw there's a book coming and mm-hmm. and you'll see it in the documentary next year. You'll see that you know, I really struggled with my mental health through this. It was very challenging to have that pressure.
1: On a much smaller scale. I remember the first time I ever wrote as an adult, I wrote an article about living with a disability. It was for CBC. Mm. And it was a great opportunity. And I, when it came out, a friend of mine called me and she was like, "I first, I just wanted to say good job. Mm. And then I just wanted to ask, how are you feeling right mm. And I was like, I just want to go to corner and cry because that was the first time where I'd said publicly, like, there's been times where I've actually really struggled with mental health because of my disability. You might mm-hmm. think that she's this really big, independent person. Um, What you don't know is there's this whole other part of physical disability, which is there can be some mental health challenges that go with that. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It's just, it's just how it goes. No,
0: it's just, you know, mental health affects every single person, either directly or, or through somebody else. When you add additional challenges, of course there's going to be, you know, mental health components to it. And whether people are born with their disabilities or whether they acquire them.
1: So, Mike, I just want to say you're doing great. Your stamina for all these media interviews is incredible. I know you mentioned that you've gotten some responses from politicians across this country. What would you want the leaders of Canada to know about what it's like to live with a disability? What are some ways that you think they can better support people?
0: What I think I would like to happen is for these politicians, mayors, and members of parliament and senators to receive DEI training and learn effective ways on how to engage and include the disabilities community. I think you know when when we go through training and we learn, it expands our minds and it makes us more open to where we need to be. We are a far far away from where we need to be in this country on disability rights and and the way that we treat people with disabilities in in Canada. We're also far far away from where we need to be with mental health and that is going to take decades and decades of work to make those changes. What I'm really looking forward to is I'm speaking at several conferences this fall. I'm actually going out east. I'll be speaking with the Ministry of National Defense on Disabilities and Disability and Inclusion. And I'm also speaking at several fundraising galas for different organizations in the lead up to Christmas. And there, I'll have the opportunity to meet several of these members as their keynote speaker. And I hope that we have some really nice but intentional and important conversations.
1: One thing that I wanted to ask you, because it took me a little longer than it should have to make the connection between Ramsey Hunt and what you've experienced, and as you mentioned, the news that came out this past summer with Justin Bieber when he went through a similar thing. When a story like that breaks and it becomes like a celebrity disability illness type story, how do you respond as somebody who's lived with the same condition?
0: In that moment, it was heightened. I had journalists across Canada contacting me I was in Michigan about to cross Lake Huron for oh, wow. twenty eight hours. I was preparing for that to happen within like you know twelve hours and that story broke. It was it was very overwhelming because the media was already there covering the story with the crossing. But then to have that happen. Well, I would wish this on, on nobody. Um The news of that has spread the awareness of the neurological condition. This is a chronic neurological condition that will affect me and thousands of people for the rest of their lives. Because it's rare, it doesn't get the kind of attention. It caught tons of attention this summer between Justin Bieber and me in Canada. Um, I think a lot of people now will know what Ramsey-Hunt syndrome is, or at least heard of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, a year or two ago... They had no idea. And to be aware of it is important because I missed a 72-hour window for treatment. I could have received steroids. That would have slowed the progression of it. And proper testing wasn't done because they didn't know what they were looking for. And now people will be aware and they'll have an idea of, of kind of at least what it is and, and they can formulate their own research and find out, you know, what the symptoms are. But, but at least it sparks some curiosity with people and that will, that will help people in the long run.
1: Has Justin Bieber reached out to you?
0: I have communicated with his family. I won't share anything more.
1: Before we head into the final two questions that we ask everyone, you've seen a lot of... Ontario and parts of the United States now just through getting to cross all five Great Lakes. Most people don't get to do that ever. I'm just curious, were there any really memorable places for you?
0: The state of Wisconsin, when we crossed Lake Superior in July... It was a 17, 18-hour drive from Toronto to Wisconsin. We had to drive through northern Ontario, um, through Sudbury, and, and then we had to cross the border and drive through upper Michigan and, and over to Wisconsin. I've traveled extensively throughout my life and throughout the United States quite a bit. But Wisconsin was never on my bucket list. But Wisconsin is a beautiful state. Mm -hmm. and um and the people are amazing and hospitable upper michigan and, and wisconsin both very very beautiful places
1: where's on your bucket list of a place you'd like to paddleboard
0: oh um a bucket list of places that i would like to paddleboard i think norway okay through the fjords it's just so beautiful there
1: yeah that sounds like a good one so, Mike, before I let you go, the two questions that we like to ask everybody, you have a lot going on right now. Are there any places where still it can be difficult for you to connect with others because of your disability?
0: I think as this has evolved, you know, my life changed in 2018. It also looks very different in 2022 than it did in 2018. I think there are always challenges but I really know my community and they really supported me from the very beginning. And because of that, it's minimized and taken some of those challenges and made them less. So while it does look different, it's, it's a very different story today than it was five years ago
1: what are some of the ways that that good connection looks like for you
0: so connecting with local organizations connecting with city officials Mm -hmm. i have great relationships with mayors across ontario and across canada city councilors and that's from building relationships several years ago i support them i go out and try to help out at events and and just friends friends and family and if something's happening and and you can try to support it because one it'll make you feel really good and two the connections that you make with people are critical life is all about you know relationships
1: yeah and i know you've said in the past that it's just about you say yes to the first thing and then I eventually do i, do. I yeah. take
0: action very fast
1: yeah as i consider relearning my swimming skills what would you say are some of the first things i should say yes to
0: say yes to yourself and that you can do this say yes to making a list today megan today you're gonna make a list say yes to it of places that you can learn to swim and saying yes to yourself and being open to trying things that scare you Mm -hmm. because when we do things that scare us and we conquer them and you are going to conquer this it gives you a confidence. And again, it builds your self-esteem. You'll go forward with that and take on your next challenge.
1: Mike, thanks so much for your time. We've really appreciated it. I know everyone at AMI has really enjoyed watching your journey uh, this past summer. So thanks for sharing a little bit more of your story with us.
0: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to talk with you and good luck with those swimming skills.
1: Connecting Disability is a production of AMI Audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdelmajid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to our guest, Mike Sherman. I will be sure to tell you when I finally swim again. And special personal thanks to my friend, Natalie Moreno. As you may have guessed from this podcast, I don't cross the Great Lakes by swimming. So I usually cross Lake Ontario on a ferry or a water taxi heading to Centre Island. And Natalie is one of my favorite people to do that with. I'm so glad that our conversations on that island led to you meeting and then marrying your husband, Josh, recently. Congratulations. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll connect next time.